Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you to make better financial decisions in your life. It's going to be a rocky summer for energy for our homes and businesses. Are you prepared if there's a blackout? I want to talk about what you need to know, how you can be prepared. And later, something I love, free stuff. How to get the media you consume for free and do it legally. I like the legal and free combination. We're going to talk about it. This I'm nervous to talk about because you don't know how alarmist things can be that turn out later not to be true. But there's an organization whose job it is to assess the robustness, the strength of the nation's energy grid. And we got some problems right now. We've got the issues with predictions that say it's going to be a hotter than normal summer at the same time we've had extended periods of drought in a lot of the country in areas that depend on hydro and hydro is not going to be able to do its job at the same time we face an ever-present danger that uh, the russians are going to attack our uh, underlying computer systems that operate the energy grid in different parts of the country. It's a pretty decentralized thing, and it's a risk that people in the power industry internally are well aware of that a state actor could attempt to disrupt normal life in the United States, at least in sectors of the United States, by attacking the grid. We also have potential because of the very, very hot temperatures of those predictions come true that will outstrip the ability for power companies to produce enough kilowatts. The people that are into politics will start slinging arrows at different political parties and philosophies and all that about energy. I'm staying out of that whole political side of this, but the reality is we do have vulnerabilities that exist for a number of factors, but mainly if the higher temperatures do turn out to be true, it's going to cause spot issues in areas of the country with the power grid. So I'm not trying to create another thing for you to worry about, but I believe in being prepared. And I talked three months ago about the alternatives in having a home generator and the advantages of having potentially a home generator that is one of the big ones that's installed at your house, having the battery wall kind of technology that Tesla developed and now several people sell instead of having a 
generator, you have batteries that provide backup power to your house. But there is another alternative as well, and it's not an all or nothing thing. You can have a relatively small portable generator. These are available now, and they tend to cost more in the range of $1,000 to $2,000. They are battery-powered generators that you charge up the batteries, and they have solar panels that if you have a power outage and the battery power is draining, you regenerate that power with the solar panels. I have one of those that is a pretty heavy portable unit. To call it portable, it takes two strong people to carry it, but it is relatively small. The batteries are fully charged, and it comes with these solar panels that fold out and regenerate the power as the batteries drain. What will it run? Well, it depends on the wattage you buy with any kind of portable generator, whether you have one that runs on a fuel source, you have one that runs on batteries, you have one with solar involved with it, but it's not going to run your whole house. What it will run is it'll keep your refrigerator stuff from spoiling. It'll run your microwave. It will allow you to charge things like your phones because we our phones are so essential and central to so many of our lives now. Um, it will provide for LED lighting because LED lighting pulls almost no wattage at all. And you can have lights in your home running from one of these portable generators. And that's about it. You're not running the air conditioning in your home. In winter, you're not running the heat in your home. All it's doing is keeping basic systems operating. You know, when you think about when you have a power outage, you have to throw everything out of your refrigerator and freezer. How much money did that cost? I mean, that's really bad, ugly. And so having a generator, because modern refrigerators pull so little energy now that you can run them from one of these devices. This is a case where being prepared is going to be great because let me tell you, when the storm comes, when the power outages come from a storm, and when they come from a state actor like the Russians pulling down grid, or when it happens because we have a really big heat wave and we just run out of juice, having the ability to not have a situation where you're in darkness and you're watching food rot right before your eyes and things like that, taking care of the most basic things doesn't involve having to buy a a big whole house generator or anything like that. And if you do buy a generator that's powered by fuel, be very aware of the carbon monoxide risk with those. No proper placement of a portable generator that runs on fuel and not an issue with the battery powered ones. Krista? This first Did you ever get the generator you and your husband no, were talking about? We're still trying to figure out what to do between solar and a, I know we need to do something cuz it takes forever to get them still. Right. So why don't you get one of these I'm talking about just so I might do that. The most basic things. This is from Manuel in Florida. Would you advise homeowners to cancel their home insurance policy soon after the house is paid for? 
Definitely not, because then it's not the mortgage company that's singing the blues. You are. You own the house free and clear. And if you have a catastrophic loss at your house, uh, that's an ugly event that would then come out of your pocket. So if you've worked for a long time, Manuel, or Manuel, whichever it is, um, in order to own this house free and clear, you don't want all your hard effort and work and years of paying this off suddenly to be wiped out. I know in Florida, homeowners insurance is so frightfully expensive. The compromise would be to go to a much higher deductible on your homeowners insurance, where you take responsibility for uh, the first, let's say, $10,000 of whatever would go wrong. That could lead to a significantly lower premium because the insurer knows there will be no what they consider to be nuisance premiums against the homeowner policy. Nuisance claims. It'll only be nuisance claims. It'll only be for major events. This is from Michael in Texas. I often hear you talk about hiring a fiduciary. So when my brother passed away last year, I told his wife to look for one. My brother had a half million dollar life insurance policy, so his wife was a very attractive client. The first fiduciary she talked to was from an insurance company. This person was hard selling annuities and whole life insurance for both her and her two small children. My sister-in-law was very susceptible to this pitch because, um, following the death of her husband. I had to work really hard to make sure she did not purchase either policy. The second fiduciary she saw was from a bank and was pitching high cost mutual funds. I'm confused. I thought a fiduciary was supposed to give advice based on your best interests. Can you expand on how to find a fiduciary who will not use their title to fatten their own retirement savings while leaving you with investments that eat away at your wealth? I think your listeners should be very wary of selecting a fiduciary. Okay. So Michael, what actually happened in this case is both salespeople lied to his sister-in-law to your sister-in-law. They were not fiduciaries. There's no way. Uh, The person working for the insurance company, they don't have fiduciaries. They only have commission salespeople. Because he gave us the name of the insurance company. Yeah, no chance. No chance that person was a fiduciary. Banks, as a general rule, do not enter into a fiduciary relationship with you at all um, in the investment side. So at a vulnerable time, a widow was lied to, lied to. And I mean, what kind of lowlifes would take advantage of a grieving widow and lie like that? With small kids. Just, just hideous, atrocious. A real fiduciary will sign a legal agreement with you that details that they are a fiduciary and they are there to represent you. On Clark.com, we have a guide to how to hire a fiduciary, and there are certain organizations that we talk about where you can find a legitimate person who actually is a fiduciary. Just because somebody is a fiduciary who's legally required to do what's in your best interest doesn't mean the person will jive with you, will match up with you, will be listening to you like you want, will be philosophically or personality aligned with you. But that's the minimum standard is to make sure that you are hiring an actual real fiduciary 
instead of the two sleazoids who lied to a grieving widow. Shame, shame, shame on them, the bank, and the insurance company those two people work for. Sebastian in Washington says, I have a question about your beloved Roths. I am currently doing contributions to my Roth IRA via the backdoor mechanism since I can't contribute normally. I recently saw that my employer through their Roth 401k, which I also max, also allows additional contributions, something known as the mega backdoor Roth. Would it be better for me to contribute my $6,000 through that method instead of the Roth IRA? Thank you for keeping my commute educational. (laughs) Thank you for that, Sebastian. So the question with any of the employer plans that allow excess contributions, how are they ultimately taxed? If the money that goes in beyond the normal statutory limit is not money that grows grows tax-free, but then can't be spent tax-free, that the contributions are tax-free, but the earnings are not, then it's not worth doing. In the case of the backdoor Roth, and that's why you've got to know exactly what the employer is allowing with the excess contributions, how they are treated tax-wise. With your backdoor Roth, which is something kind of technical that only applies to you if you make big money that makes you ineligible for putting money into a Roth IRA each year, Backdoor Roth is a way you contribute something known as a non-deductible IRA and then recharacterize it as Roth. Why the tax code has this weird complication it does, if that, you know, going through the double step, that is money that grows tax-free and is spent tax-free. If the employer money is also money that can grow tax-free and be spent tax-free, Just do it through the employer, and then you don't have the additional step you have with the backdoor Roth. If, on the other hand, backdoor Roth, by doing your work, is tax-free growth and spending. If the employer's is not, then that says you do the backdoor Roth that you're already doing. That was complicated, wasn't it? But I love that you're saving the max you already can with your employer and looking for additional ways to save money for your future, because that means you are going to have enormous financial security. And coming up, getting entertained for free. Isn't that cool? We're going to talk about how to do it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We spend so much money now on digital media, movies, TV, books, you know, reading electronic books, audio books, music. And so there's a temptation of people to steal those things. But there's a better idea, and that is to look for ways to get all the media that you could possibly ever consume for free and do it legally it means so much to me that people not steal content 
And at the same time, I want you to get better deals. I've got guides for you on Clark.com divided out by content area. Free movies, free TV, free books, free audiobooks, free music. Because I want you to be able to get the content and be complying with the law. Now, there is a catch with the TVs and movies most often. It's that the free sources are going to be ad-supported. Music, most often, free music, going to be ad-supported. My family uses Spotify. I still listen. My son says, Dad, only old people listen to that. I listen to Pandora and listen to the ad-supported version of Pandora. And yeah, Pandora is not as good as Spotify. I know, I know. But, you know, I listen to music when I'm walking, when I'm running. It helps me along as I'm exercising. And so if I have to listen to, you know, two ads every, it seems like two ads every five songs, something like that. I'm happy to do it. I, I, I don't, I kind of zone when I'm out exercising anyway. It's just nice having the tunes. But anyway, I want you to know that if you feel like your budget's being overwhelmed and you're spending money on the things I'm talking about, why not figure out how to do them for free? And while we're on that topic, I'm shocked that there are still people that listen to Sirius XM and pay all that money for that satellite music service and at the same time also have some kind of music streaming service. So why not dump the Sirius XM? You can listen, even if you have an older car, you can get one of those adapters so you can listen to the music through your vehicle speakers that you have on a music service you're streaming on your smartphone. I mean, think about all the ways you can pull expenses out of your life and still have the things you want. And as I shared with you about six weeks ago, the hottest trend in video is as companies are seeing subscribers discontinue as they've gone from being at home and they're out and about more, the video services for TV and movies are going as fast as they can to roll out ad-supported free services to try to keep people from firing them completely. And so you're going to see more and more with media content where you're going to be able to get the stuff for free simply by being able to put up with ads. You know, the next sector I think is going to go to this forever ago, way, way long ago, long ago and far away. This is going to be a shock to anybody who's younger used to have to pay every time you made a long-distance call. And long-distance calls were very expensive. And I used to use a service from Maryland. It was a national service. But it was one where you listened to 15-second ads. And every 15-second ad you listened to, you got two free minutes of long-distance. And that's what I would do. I'd be, you know, we used to have these things called payphones. And you'd go to a payphone, and I'd listen to several ads, 
and then I'd be able to make my long distance phone call. I think that's coming to cell phones. I think we're going to see, but instead of being listening, you're going to have ads you have to watch and that will get you more data because calling is basically completely free now and people wouldn't see value add to that because you have to pay like nothing for calling and texting. But getting free data in return for watching television-like commercials on your phone, that is absolutely going to happen. Krista? The first question I'm going to read is from John in North Carolina. I have a student who is transferring colleges in the fall. We are looking at options for housing. In our area, rent within walking distance of the college is going anywhere from $1,500 to $2,200 per month. We are considering purchasing a place which we will use for three years and then likely rent out for an additional two years minimum. We have the money to purchase and at current interest rates, we would come out ahead by purchasing. Our concern is the current housing market. Will it crash? Most housing costs have increased a minimum of 30 to 50 percent since 2019. If the housing market crashes due to increased interest rates, will rent prices increase? So... You're asking for a very tough crystal ball from me. Are housing prices going to crash? Very unlikely. I don't see that happening. Are housing prices going to soften during the 20s? Yes. There will be a softening of housing prices. starting to happen in some places now. Yeah. So as interest rates move up, as the economy will be forced to slow to squeeze inflation out of the economy as hopefully at some point the inventory mismatch between the supply of houses and apartments and the demand for them as it gets to equalize you're going to see that housing prices start to trail the growth of the economy uh, if not go slightly in reverse it will be the rare circumstance and rare situation Uh, barring anything other than an extremely deep recession, housing prices are not going to collapse in any way, shape, form, or fashion in any way like they did 15 years ago because the significant difference then is we had a surplus of housing units. Today, we still have a shortage. So, yes, I do think that your ownership cycle is going to have to be longer than five years to feel like that's going to be a safe purchase, I'd say more like 10 years. And if that's more than you can really get your arms around that you would own it, intend to own it three years for your son, and then be committed if you needed to, to own it another seven, if that's a bridge too far, then I think you rent, don't buy. From Karen in Nebraska, my son is a freshman in college and received approximately $8,000 from a tuition reimbursement program. With the current economy, would it be wise to park it in his 529 until the fall or just keep it in savings and not risk losing anything? Thank you for the service you provide. I have successfully used your advice many times. I manage a school kitchen and I am a single mom. When my alimony ended, I learned about Instacart from you. The gig work allows me to keep this job while still being able to take my at-home kids to school and spend summers with them. And yesterday, I just bought my first iBond. Karen, congratulations. iBonds are such a great way to keep up with inflation right now. 
paying huge interest rates versus anything else. You can buy up to 10 grand of them in a year. Um, you can see our guide to buying I-bonds at Clark.com. Current interest rate is 9 point, um, I forgot what, 9 point whatever. It's a huge interest rate that you're earning for the next six months. Um, as far as the $8,000 from the tuition reimbursement, um, just keep it in savings. There's not enough time between now and the fall that it makes since to go through the effort of putting that money into a 529. And it's nine point what, Krista? Oh, 9.62%. 9. 9.62%. It's a pretty good rate right now, isn't it? It really is. But that's only for six months and then it resets. I also want to mention with the I-bonds, we've had a lot of complaints I didn't get to get to, but I didn't get to read, but about the Treasury website, how bad it is. And if you get locked out, this actually happened to me too, but I had three people write in this week that they got locked out of their account and you have to call on the phone and you're in at least a two hour wait, if not longer. So it's their website can have a lot of issues. You know, the reason is the U.S. Treasury doesn't want to do these small accounts. To them, they're just like a big hassle. They don't put the effort into them, but the optics look really bad if they only make the sale of U.S. debt available to institutions and billionaires and so they have way underinvested in the website which is obvious when you try to use the treasurydirect.gov website and savingsbonds.gov this is from lewis in arizona i'm selling my rental house likely to the tenant do i need a realtor or attorney or can i the title company handle everything i plan to carry the mortgage myself to avoid a large tax bill what are some of the things to look out for in this process? Can I replace some of the rental income with shares in, an, in a REIT, R-E-I-T? As a touring comedian, Arizona Lou, I find that managing a rental is too much. I'm going to have to look him up on YouTube. Yeah, Arizona Lou, uh, good luck to you in your career as a comedian. My daughter who just graduated from college is now working for the Groundlings, which will mean something to you, Arizona Lou. So... In this case, especially because you're carrying back a mortgage, you're not going to get the guidance you need. And uh, no offense to people who work for title companies, you're not going to get the advice you need to properly structure the sale of this and also be the mortgage company for your tenant. I want you to go see a lawyer in Arizona who what he or she does is real estate work. Um, Arizona like a number of states, closings are not done by real estate closing attorneys. They're done by escrow companies, title companies, whatever they call them. In there are states that are lawyer closed states, and there are others that are done these other ways. You need someone who understands real estate law, not just a lawyer who's a general practice, who will properly prepare the deal for you selling to the tenant, properly prepare the mortgage and all those documents. And that's, yes, that's going to be an additional expense in the sale of the property. But if the agreement is not done properly, there's real risk to you. Now, your second thing about putting money into a REIT, a REIT is as opposite what you're doing with an individual rental property as there could be. It's almost like buying a stock. In this case, it's a 
stock of real estate. And speaking of which, there are a lot of uh, funds you can buy that own pieces of many different REITs. Instead of you being subject to what happens with a particular REIT, and you can look at any of the low-cost companies and look at the REIT funds they offer. There are even REIT index funds where you own little pieces of many, many different real estate investment trusts. It would be a different kind of thing than what you're thinking about with using a REIT as return of capital that you have put in and hopefully income. And if you do decide you want to go linearly into an individual REIT, you need to really, really study that REIT in terms of the expenses you're going to have to absorb and how diversified that REIT is so you're not in one that is structured way too narrowly. And I want to tell you, I appreciate you listening today. I appreciate everyone who tunes into us for the advice that we offer. And I want to tell you everything we're about, everything in every meeting we have, every editorial content decision we make is all about providing you information that can help you take more control of your life and is information that I can tell you is written from the right place, the heart and the head to give you a step ahead in life. So check out Clark.com. If you're looking for the best deals of the day, check out ClarkDeals.com.